So we had, uh, we had just the most amazing week of revival here with the Presence Conference last week. How many of you managed to get to a meeting? Yeah, great. It was magnificent. And we're hearing the reverberations of what happened around San Diego through Presence Conference. Um, we've been hearing them in the days since. And it's just incredible. And I was thinking about what God is doing in the church, not just here in our city, but around the world. And the church is in revival. Like the, the church, something is happening. Something is stirring in the spiritual waters, particularly over San Diego. So I thought this, this topic of all in is so perfect because when the church is in the revival, in revival, the devil starts scrambling. He starts looking for everything he could potentially throw as opposition to stop the revival, the people getting saved, the people getting breakthrough, the healings that are happening, and he'll do whatever he can. And usually he will go back to his favorite, his favorite weapon. He'll go back to things like offense, He'll go back to things like trying to bring division. And if you look at what happened, the reason the devil got kicked out of heaven, because he was in that awesome place once, he got very prideful in his heart, but then he tried to divide heaven. He tried to divide the kingdom of God. And so off he went, and he's a divider in chief. And what he did then, he is trying to do now. And so the word I want to bring today is a word on unity. Somebody say unity. Unity. And this by no means is a corrective word. It's just a reminding word. It's a refreshing word because we're doing too many great things for the kingdom of God. Too many lives are being impacted for us to lose it because the enemy comes in with one of his old tricks. So I'm just saying right now, we're not having it. Somebody say, I'm not having it. I'm not having it. So I'm going to be talking today on unity. I'm going to start reading from the book of Psalms, chapter number 133. And this is what... The Lord is saying, how wonderful, how beautiful when brothers and sisters get along. It's like costly anointing oil, not not the cheap stuff you get from Trader Joe's. This is like (laughs) the oil that one would import from places like Italy, flowing down head and beard, flowing down Aaron's beard. Basically, that's saying, Leanne, this starts with you. You and Pastor Jürgen, as the leaders in the church, has got to start there because the way you're living is going to be reverberated throughout the entire crew and posse. Flowing down Aaron's beard, flowing down the collar of his priestly robes. It's like the dew on Mount Hermon, flowing down the slopes of Zion. Yes! Somebody say yes! Yes! yes. And I do believe... All the writers of the Bible were very extra, and I love that all of a sudden they go from beautiful poetic descriptions to, yes, that is where God commands a blessing and ordains eternal life. So here's like a little, as a little aside, here's one way to figure out whether a church is flowing in unity or not. Uh, you, can, you can measure it by our people getting saved. Because the place of unity is where God commands a blessing and that is where he ordains eternal life. So, so I want to I just take some time this morning to talk about the secret to a blessed life. And it's not what you may think it is. It's not the amassing of wealth. It's not being famous. It's not having your, your picture on the cover of Time magazine. It's learning to live with other people in such a way that honors them and honors God. 
And I think really that is everything. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew chapter number five, he said, if you're bringing your gift to the altar, if you've got an excellent gift, you're bringing your tithe, you're bringing your ability to the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, I want you to leave your gift at the altar. I'm not interested in that. I want you to go off and I want you to first reconcile with your brother. Then you can come back and bring your gift. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying, I desire unity over gifting. And you know what? One thing, has, one thing that has really decimated many churches around the world, a bunch of gifted people, oh, they're fabulous. But for whatever reason, they just refuse to get along. And, and here's the truth. We're never going to agree on everything because we're all unique. We all think about some things a little bit differently, but we have to be able to move past it. And this is where a truly blessed life is found. James puts it this way in James chapter 3, verses 17 to 18. Real wisdom, God's wisdom, begins with a holy life and it's characterized by, wait for it, getting along with others. I love that because we all thought a holy life was knowing the Bible back to front and inside out and being able to argue doctrine with people or maybe wearing just the perfect camisole under that low-cut top or hugging people of the opposite sex in sideways. Like, but right here, James is saying a holy life is characterised by getting along with others. Who would have thunk it? It is gentle. Oh, and I love that word because I feel like God is wanting to bring a revival of gentleness into the church. You know, gentleness, thank you for that one applause. Gentleness, gentleness is actually one of the fruits of the Spirit. And I think people need less, tell you what time it is, and more like a, a gentle touch and approach. When the world is so messy and broken, they don't need more harshness. It's everywhere. They need the gentle, they need the smile of heaven. Do you know one of the greatest gifts you can ever give the world is your smile? <laughs> I saw a meme once and I'm, I'm quite a fan of memes. It says, if Jesus is in your heart, remind your face. And I thought that was a good one. Because it's not so much scripture you quote, but it's the life you lived, your, your ability to be agreeable, even in disagreeable circumstances and be gentle. And can I put it to you, and I'm not trying to pick on the ladies, but I think something is transgressed in a woman, particularly when she doesn't operate with gentleness. The world doesn't need any more brash, bossy, harsh women. It needs some women that know how to be strong in gentleness. Hey, they have, they're, they're strong, but they're gentle. They don't transgress that part of themselves and think they need to act like a man in order to live in the world and get stuff done. No, just be you. Just be gentle, old you. See, God looked at Adam and he's like, that's not enough. I need the female kind. Because she's going to bring some gentleness. She's going to bring a soft touch. Oh, it's amazing how, how quickly and how efficiently you can move something with a soft touch. You think you need to slap it from here to kingdom come. No, just the slightest touch is all you need. And we've been trying to do things without gentleness. It's time for a revival of gentleness in the church today. 
overflowing with mercy and blessings. I like this. Not hot one day and cold the next. I love that because there, there is not a person I cannot stand more than a moody person. Moody people, <laughs> nope, no, no, sir. You will be very quickly relegated to the outskirts of my friendship pool. If I have to wonder what version of you I am going to find that day. If I walk into the room and am I going to get the nice you or the unkind you? Are you happy today? Are you happy emoji or are you sad emoji? <laughs> like I'm, I'm just going to move, move along very quickly. You can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God. And this is great news because maybe some of you have said within yourself that a unified, healthy church doesn't exist. Well, the Bible says here that we can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God and enjoy its results, but only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other, treating each other with dignity and honour. And when you look at the problems of the world today, the, the racial tensions, the war of the sexes, the war between the generations, is it not just that everybody is truly wanting to be treated with dignity and honour? You know, we can fix that. We can do something about that. So today I want to tell you that wherever you see unity, it's not, it's not organic. People didn't just wake up and start getting along. Just like James said, it's hard work to get along with other people. It's not organic, it's intentional. So this morning I want to give you five keys for living and dwelling in unity. So we can be the kind of church where the Lord can command a blessing and where eternal life is found. The first one is this, we got to go first. Someone has to go first. Because when you look at the world around you, there are a whole lot of people and a whole lot of scenarios where it's, it's like a, a stalemate, where it's like a cold war. And I'll apologize when he apologizes. And I'll say sorry when she says sorry. And I'll do the right thing when they deserve to be treated rightly. Uh, that's why the world is in a bit of a chaotic mess, because nobody's willing to go first. True in the church, true in marriages. I, I remember when I first got married, and I got married at 17. I've been married 27 years. I got married at 17. And my husband won't mind me sharing this, hopefully. Um, <laughs> But, but he was one of those moody, oh, I hated it then, I hate it now. And he had a moody dad and, and he, so he was trained up in the moody ways and he was a moody man. And if we got into an argument, I'd be like mid-sentence and all of a sudden he'd just walk, leave. I'm like, oh no, you did not. Oh, what, the, what the hell? My gentleness quotient wasn't quite at the height that it needed to be. However, my psycho quotient was quite, you know, tapping at the top end of the scale. I'd be like, no, we're going to stay here and we're going to fight to the death. We're going to... I've got a jousting stick and I, whatever it takes. But he would just take off. And I'd think, well, surely, surely he's going to come back. And I'd be in bed. And look, I didn't get married to sleep alone. I actually want the body heat of another human. And so I go off searching for him. And, and I remember as, as a young bride searching for my husband, like, oh, wow, how pathetic that this is happening. I'm searching 
through the house. And I find him on the couch with, like he was like, you know, he had a, a rag for a blanket. <laughs> Just so I had the physical picture of the torment and suffering and, and shivering on the couch with a little rag. And, and everything in me wanted to, to go in and just restart the argument. Like, get your butt back into the bed. And while you're getting your butt back into the bed, I'm going to tell you again and again and again all the reasons why I'm mad at you. But I remember as I'm walking in, the Holy Spirit said to me, Leanne, do you want resolve or do you want to be right? And I honestly had to think about it. Because <laughs> being right is just such a great feeling. But you know what I've realized? You can be right and lonely. You can be right and miss out on relationships. So I walked in and I saw him shivering there with his little rag blanket, trying to make a point to me and the universe. And I just went up to him. And as much as I wanted to remind him again of all his faults and flaws, I just snuggled up against him. And I said, baby, I love you. I'm so sorry. And before I know it, you know, he's turning around, I'm sorry too. And then we get to go, and go, get to go back to bed together. But how many people are not willing to go first in the world? And as a result, they're spending their lives figuratively and actually on the couch shivering under a rag simply because they just won't do the hard work of getting along. You know, you can be right and be lonely. You can be right and attending a home church with five people that is just as weird as you and missing out on the family of God simply because you just won't go first. Jesus, Jesus put it this way. He said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, here's the simple rule of thumb guide for behavior. Ask yourself, what do you want people to do for you? Let's just take a second, just, just like 30 seconds. Think about what do you want people to do for you? Do you want them to forgive you when you make a fool of yourself, when you do something wrong? Do you want them to be gracious when you make a mistake? Do you want them to be kind even when you've been unkind? Here's the simple rule of thumb. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you. Then grab the initiative and do it for them. Add up God's law and prophets and this is what you get. This is hashtag everything. <laughs> Being a Christian means that I don't get to fight fire with fire as much as I want to. Being a Christian means I have to go first. There was an incident just recently uh, at a conference that I went to, and I was about to meet uh, another pastor's wife that I, I, I'm going to be honest with you, I, I found her a little bit unpleasant. I found her a little bit aloof. And so I had this plan in my head that I'm just going to kind of give her a wide berth, just, just avoid her as much as I possibly can. And then I arrive at the conference, and there she is in in the meeting and uh, I'm like, all right, going to follow the plan, just going to give her a wide berth. And then I felt the Lord say, Leanne, oh my gosh, you're a Christian. <laughs> Not just a pastor, a Christian. You need to do the right thing. You need to go first. And so I walked up and I actually put my arm around. I said, oh my gosh, it's been an eternity since I've seen you. How are you doing? It's so great to see you and just asked a whole bunch of questions. Before I knew it, we were in this deep, meaningful conversation. 
getting along like a house on fire, taking selfies with like, hashtag love this girl. I'm thinking to myself, wow, both of us were robbed for a really long time because neither of us were willing to go first. You know, afterwards the Holy Spirit said to me, Leanne, it was probably a case of who's rejecting who. Who's being aloof to who? Who's being unpleasant to who? See, many of us will label aloof, unpleasant, rejecting me, therefore I'll reject them. But the reality is the person on the other side is probably going, oh, that Pastor Leanne, she's probably preaching in her church right now. Well, I went to this conference. (laughs) Aloof, unpleasant, rejected me. Someone just has to go first. Bridge that divide that usually is more misunderstanding than offense. Someone has to go first. It is time for the church of Jesus Christ to go first again. Stop waiting on the world to change when God has asked us to change the world. Be the change that you want to see. We got to go first. The second thing I want to tell you is we got to let the righteous strike us. Let the righteous strike you. Hmm. What do I mean by that? Psalm 141 verse 5 says this. Let the righteous strike me. That is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. That is oil on my head. Now here's the reality. If we don't let the righteous strike us, then the wicked will. And it hurts a whole lot more. And God has ordained it in each and every single one of our lives where we will have teachers, where we will have pastors, we will have leaders. Quite often it's spouses. What I found is God has has put a truth teller in our home. Usually it's our spouse. If you're married to a healthy person, usually they're going to be a truth teller and they're going to tell you things that you may not be able to see for yourself that are actually going to help you in your life if you listen to them. So let the righteous strike you. Things get disunified in church when the people that need the correction don't hear it. They don't take it. They get defensive. They make excuses. They get offended and they leave. If we want to be a unified church, we have to be a little bit robust at the point of being able to hear things that we may not want to hear but we need to hear. I remember such a time for Pastor Jürgen and I when we were youth pastors for Phil Pringle. Now, he's still our pastor. He still has the right to strike us. And when the righteous strike you, it's not a brutal slap. It's a kindness, the Bible says. So Pastor Phil pulled Jürgen and I into his office many, many years ago, and he had to bring a level of correction. And in the moment, it just feels, just feels so hard Because number one, you don't want to let that person down and the thought that you did is a real discouragement. But more than that, everything in you just fights to want to maintain a perfect image. But I'm perfect, don't you know? Everybody else is misunderstood. You don't understand me. Well, exactly. Nobody ever is going to understand you. The Bible says in the book of Corinthians that nobody understands the heart of a man except the spirit of that man. And yet we're always judging people for not understanding our heart. Well, all they have to go off is our actions. And so we came into this meeting and Pastor Phil brought some some real solid and honest truth. But within that meeting, there was probably out of 100%, two of those percent would have been an injustice, a misunderstanding. Somebody said something that wasn't quite, quite correct or it was delivered in a way that wasn't caring or kind. 
And it's easy for us in those corrective moments to hang our hat on the 2% that wasn't done correctly instead of absorbing the 98% of truth that we need to absorb. And I reckon that the Lord will allow there to be 2% just so we have an opportunity to disregard it if we want to. How much humility, how unified do you want to be? How in, how all in do you actually want to be? Are you going to leave the doors of the church forever and watch church online because 2% of a conversation wasn't just and wasn't right and you were misunderstood? Or are you going to absorb the 98%, let it hit, hit you where it hurts and say, that was the word of the Lord to me. I know it must have been hard for you to have this conversation and I want you to know I'm going to hear it and I'm going to apply it. Let the righteous strike you. It will be a kindness, not an unkindness. And I wonder how many people in churches around the world have checked out of places at the point of the righteous striking them when God is saying, I'm literally, this is your setup for promotion. It shall be anointing oil, the Bible says. Let my head not refuse it. What does that mean? That promotion is attached to correction. When people were anointed in the Old Testament, they poured oil on their head. And the fact that they're using these two phrases together tells me that when God corrects you, it's because he wants to promote you. So we'd be foolish not to grab it. I've learned that if people who love me tell me something, I need to listen up. In Proverbs 5.12, we hear the lament of a person who says this, Oh, how I hated discipline. How my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers or turn my heart to my instructors. I have come to the brink of utter ruin and now I must face public disgrace. And here's what I found. That correction usually comes to us really discreetly. It comes with, with the utmost of discretion. So someone will come, they'll have a conversation, it's behind closed doors, it's just between the two of you. But every time we resist that, man, it just gets more and more and more and more public. And the final stand is having your face plastered on the, on the newspaper with your sins laid bare for all the world to see. But trust me, there were a lot of little interactions before it got to that point where these people did not listen. Do not let yourself be another scalp on the devil's pinboard. God has put teachers in your life for a reason because he loves you. The Bible says that those whom the Lord loves, he also corrects. It would be such a shame for us to lose everything we have because we don't listen to the voices that God has placed in our lives. I have a little story I'm going to tell you about the day that I saved a dragonfly. I'm a lover of animals, lover of animals, even the stingy ones. And we had this enormous, we have this enormous picture window in our home. And stuck on this picture window was a dragonfly that was desperately, desperately trying to burst free into the, into the great outdoors. Now it could see its freedom. It could see freedom, it could see the, the, the trees, it could see the sky, it could see the beautiful rolling hills, but it could not get there. And so I came with my tissue trying to grab the dragonfly. Now this thing was enormous, it was more dragon than fly. And it had the longest stinger I've ever seen. And I'm trying to grab it, but it keeps sticking its butt out like bzzzt, bzzzt. I try to grab it and be bzzzt, bzzzt, bzzzt. And I couldn't save it because I was afraid of getting stung. And so many of us, we're like that flippin' dragonfly. 
People can see our freedom. They can see that all the things that God has for us and they're trying to help us. Let me help you. But see, we've confused helpers with haters. We, we kind of got an overlap. They were trying. She was coming at me with a white tissue. She was trying to suffocate me. No, I was trying to free you. But you kept putting your stinger out. It's the word of the Lord to some of us. Some of us need to just put that stinger away and understand that everybody that comes to you is not a hater. Everybody that comes to you with correction is not a hater. They're helpers. They're sent to help you. The Bible says, what does it say? (laughs) It says, let the righteous strike me. It will be a kindness. Stop misappropriating someone who hates you as someone who's actually being kind. Let the righteous strike you. Amen. Go on. Give God a huge round of applause. Third thing we have to do is we need to turn our sensitivity dials down to low. In fact, right now, I want you to just put your hand out and I want you to just turn like, yes, just do that. Sometimes I have to do that. Now, I coined this phrase because I had to learn to turn my sensitivity dial down low. So I'll find when my kids, when my husband's being offensive, I'll just put my hand out and go, I am turning down the sensitivity dial. And we need to learn to do that in church because church is full of a whole lot of diverse people who think differently. We're raised in different petri dishes called families who operate in different ways. And and we're all a little bit offensive, just so you know. And some of us might say, well, I'm not offensive. Well, can I just tell you, your lack of self-awareness is probably your most offensive quality. (laughs) I'll just put it, just leave that there. I'll just leave that there. And what I've learned is if you're looking for offense, you'll find it every single time. Here's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you, somebody say beg you, he's begging people at this point, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. You are called by God. God planted you in this city at this time, in this era for a reason because he needs what you got. You have been called by God. Then he goes on to say, always be humble and gentle. There's that word again. And be patient with each other. Somebody say, I'm patient. Why are you going to need that in a close little family called the church? Making allowances for each other's faults, which there, right there tells me that we are going to have them. People are going to have faults. See, many of us walk into church and we expect to find perfection, but we're just finding people that are being perfected. So there are some faults that you will encounter along the way. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit binding yourselves together with peace. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul talks about what a healthy church looks like. This is what a healthy church looks like. This is what love looks like in the church context. And we often hear that particular scripture spoken about uh, when people get married, in the marriage context, and it absolutely works for marriage. But 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, was all about how we should behave toward each other in church. 
And then when he goes through all those things, love is patient, love is kind, love suffers long, it does not delight in evil but rejoices in the truth. Once he gets to the end, he goes, you know, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I reasoned like a child, I behaved like a child. But when I became a grown-up, when I became a big boy, a big girl, a man, a woman, I put aside my childish ways. So could I tell you what one of the biggest attackers of unity is in the church? Immaturity. It's immaturity. So when you behave, when you are a 45-year-old and you're behaving like a 20-year-old, that's when things really start to come unstuck. And I made a decision that if I was going to have to have a 45-year-old's body and a 45-year-old's metabolism and a 45-year-old's face, then gosh darn it, I'm not going to have a 20-year-old mind and a 20-year-old emotional quotient. And, you know, I think all across San Diego and many churches around the world, we've got a lot of people that try as they might, try as they might to not look 50, even though they do, no matter how much they pull this up and pull that down and plump that up, they still look the same age they are. And they're hanging out at the bars at happy hour, putting out the vibe. But they're 50, but they're acting like they're 20. They're still having the same squabbles with the same girlfriends over the same issues and still dividing this and changing friendship groups like they change their clothing. And it's happening all over the world, but it needs to be different in God's church. We've got to turn our sensitivity dials down really, really low. Many churches are suffering from disunity because people are choosing offence over forgiveness. Proverbs 19.11 says this, Sensible people control their temper. They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. Sometimes you just need to just not pick it up. I preached a message to our cherished girls many years ago called Spiritual Dodgeball. I said, one of the, one of the balls that the devil will try to throw your way is the ball of offense. Just choose to dodge it. Dodge that ball. So many of us, the devil throws a ball and the first thing we do is we catch it and we grab it and we stare at it. We look at it and we keep rehearsing it and then we toss it to somebody else and we tell them why we're offended. And you know what I've found? The person who catches the second dodgeball they're meant to dodge of offense gets even more infected than the first person. And before you know it, you've got a whole party of people that should have dodged a ball, but instead they grabbed a ball and now they brought disunity in a place where God says, if you're unified, I will command a blessing and people will get saved. It's time to be spiritual dodgeballers again. Dodge that ball. Don't pick it up. And here's what I've realised. Most people aren't offensive on purpose. They're not. I, I can swear to you, black and blue, till I'm black and blue, I, if I've offended you, I've not meant it. Not, I only mean to offend one person, Jürgen, and I'm trying <laughs> to really do that less and less. He's the only person that could actually say, you meant to offend me, and I would have to say, yeah. I, I'm sorry, I, I just woke up and I felt like being unpleasant. But, but for everybody else, and I would say that's true for most people, most people aren't on purpose trying to offend you. They're not. You know what I've realised? They're just thoughtless. People just say things and they don't think. 
They come from different families where brashness or brutal honesty is acceptable and then they come out into the real world and they're just like brutalizing everybody everywhere. Just choose to not take it. I've I got to be honest with you. I, I've, I ask the Lord continually to make me a gracious person. I just, I just refuse to pick up offense where there is no offense. I refuse to be, I can't. I'm leading the most magnificent people in the world and I refuse to be a grudge holder. I refuse to be a bitter person. I refuse to walk into this building with a scowl on my face, swirling my Starbucks like a witch's brew, scowling at everybody saying, you ruined my life. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to choose to not take offense. I'm going to choose to believe the best. I'm going to choose to not ascribe the worst possible motive to somebody. Most of the time, we'll get it wrong. They're not offensive. They're just thoughtless. Don't pick it up. Put it down. If you can dodge a ball, you can dodge an offense. Let's be really good offense dodgers. Turn that sensitivity down to low. I'm going to ask the band to come. Fourth point. To live in unity, you have to get alone. What do I mean by that? If we want to be unified as a church, if you want to be unified with your husband or wife, your family, even your colleagues, you have to get alone with God. Unification requires alone time. I had a meeting with someone once, a woman in ministry, and she was listing off all these offenses that she had. And the remarkable thing to me was none of them were cataclysmic. None of them were deal breakers at all. In fact, they were quite petty and little. And as I'm hearing it, I'm like tilting, like, what? I, wow, you carried these things for years and they're tiny. And I thought to myself, I wonder if she prays. And I said to her, just tell me what your prayer life's like. And she said, well, well, actually, you know, it's one of the things I'm working on. You know, I don't really pray that much. It's one of the things I, I, I'm really needing to kind of up the ante in. I said, well, it all makes sense. No wonder you have all these little grievances and all these little grudges and all these little resentments and all these little moments of unforgiveness where you've held offence and harboured it in your heart. And anything you nurse, ladies and gentlemen, will grow. Yeah, what we nurse grows. And so all this stuff had, was just overflowing and bubbling out of her life and she hated ministry and she hated the church and she wasn't that fond of her husband. And I said, listen, I, I don't have bad energy toward anyone. Do you know why? Because I pray. Because when you carry that stuff daily into the throne room, you're going to find that under the presence of God, the, the, the awesomeness of His glory, that stuff is just going to burn off. It's, it's not going to matter anymore. And you'll find that as you pray, you get all those offenses and you put them in your, your prayer sieve. I, call, I kind of see it as a sieve. And you drop in there that when that person said that thing to you that was offensive or when you got excluded from that group or when you sent that text and they didn't text you back in time or when someone stole your idea or when someone got glory for your idea and, and, and when your husband was rude to you and your kids didn't appreciate you and you just put it in the sieve and you shake it out. And in about a 10-minute prayer time, you'll find by the end, there ain't nothing left. 
I can walk out and be a pleasant person, a gentle person, a humble person, a kind person because I took care of it because unification requires getting alone. We see in the story in the book of Luke when two girls had a fight. Well, one girl had a fight with another one, Martha and Mary. It was like the the dinner party of the century, completely awkward. And Martha's upset and she comes to Jesus. She's mad at her sister Mary and she's mad at Jesus for not being mad at her sister Mary. And it's all kind of falling apart. And then she says to Jesus, tell her to help me. Tell my sister to get off her behind and come help me in the kitchen. And the amazing thing is Jesus doesn't rebuke Mary. He says to Martha, 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 you are worried and troubled about many things because you haven't done the one thing. And I would say to you today, if you're worried and troubled about many things, if in your life you can easily recall a stockpile of offences against a brother, a sister, a spouse, a friend, a family member, then you haven't been doing the one thing. Do the one thing again. One thing is needed, he said. And Mary has chosen the better thing, and I'm not going to take that offer. One thing. And that same invitation that God gave to Martha is an invitation he gives to us. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will refresh you. You've been carrying stuff and it's been wearing you out because you weren't meant to carry it. All those little things, just just let it go. Oh, I want the world to change. Oh my gosh, somebody said something offensive. Somebody said something mean and rude to somebody. Gosh darn it. I thought the church was full of perfect people. Oh well, try again tomorrow. No, pray, pray. How do you live perfectly in an imperfect world? You pray. You find yourself at the feet of your heavenly Father who can deal with all that stuff. And finally, we got to be about our Father's business. Now, if I was the devil and I wanted to thwart everything that God was wanting to do in a city, city, wouldn't I just be so smart and clever if I got us all infighting? If instead of fighting Him, we fight with each other. Instead of focusing on the lost people, on the people that need to be discipled, on those souls yet to be one to the kingdom, we fight with each other and we gossip about each other and we slander one another and we get caught up in church politics. How many of you are sick of church politics? Not enough of you. Let me ask again. How many are sick of political churches where there's bickering and fighting and slander and gossip and people not getting along. Well, I for one am. And I'm saying today, we are a different kind of church here at C3 Church. We're not like everybody else. We're not like those churches that people can't wait to leave. We're the kind of church where we can be trusted because we are about our Father's business. I must be about my father's business because if you're not about your father's business, you'll be in everybody else's. That's what I found. And you're all, and you're becoming everything that you hate. And you're becoming that person that you couldn't wait to get rid of, that gossiping old lady that brings in the flowers and then judges everybody on what they're wearing or what they're not. We must be about our father's business. Because when we're about our Father's business, everything comes into perspective. There's a story that I want to give you as we come to a close. In Christchurch, they had a spate of Japanese fishermen being brought into the ER because of stab wounds. And they're like, what the 
heck is going on with these Japanese fishermen? And so they would, they would harbour, they would dock in Christchurch. And in the times where there wasn't a lot of fish to catch, do you know what would happen? They would start fighting each other. They get into fights. So much so some of them died and they'd be like, they'd be crawling off the boat with stab wounds and blood, gushing blood simply because they weren't catching fish. True for the Japanese fishermen, true for the church. When we're not fishing, when we're not catching fish, we're gonna fight each other. We wanna be unified. We gotta make the main thing the main thing. We must be about our father's business. We got a job to do. Don't you wanna hear those words? Well done, good and faithful servant. Don't be, don't be confounded or distracted by the little sideshows. Oh, this person's feuding with that one. That one shunned this one. This one's not allowed in kids' church anymore. I'm not thinking about it. I'm not looking at it. I got a job to do. And my job requires that I remain in unity, that I'm a woman who goes first. I don't wait for the apology, I give it. I don't wait to have the olive branch extended to me, I extend it. I don't wait for the invitation, I give the invitation. That's what kind of church we are because God is wanting to bring revival to this beautiful city. And it happens when a church gets mature. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I reasoned like a child, I behaved like a child. But when I became a grown-up, I put aside childish things. There's no place for playground, schoolyard antics in God's house. It's time for the redeemed of the Lord to say so. Come on, stand up and be counted. You are stronger than that. How embarrassing if we got to heaven and we got taken out over something so petty, so futile, so not even anything, and we got taken out of the greatest race and the greatest adventure simply because we just couldn't do the simple thing but the hard thing of getting along with one another. It's time, it's time, it's time, it's time. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, team, and what we do at C3 San Diego, go to C3SanDiego.com. 